Hey, good morning. If you are watching online, welcome to you as well. Um, so, and by the way, if you're watching online, we're going to have communion today, so you may want to get some elements at home. Uh, if you are an American whose family went to TCU and you live in West Virginia, yesterday was a very tough sports day, I just want to say that. USA soccer lost, TCU frogs lost, and the Mountaineers lost as well. A moment of silence. Okay, we can go on. Um, however, I, wa- I did uh, get to the tail end of the Holly Jolly Dinner Fest, and I think that maybe made up for it with all the sugar and kids, and just the whole, it was unbelievable, the whole lobby and hallways were just filled with kids and candy and grandparents and parents and aunts and uncles just doing stuff with their kids. It was absolutely amazing. So we really do have a great Christmas season plan here at River Ridge. Um, do want to remind you that our Christmas Eve services will be on that Sunday, or excuse me, on the Friday and Saturday, uh, the 23rd and the 24th, um, 6 o'clock on the 23rd and 4 o'clock on the 24th. Um, we're just having two services, um, and so we think those will be pretty full, so I encourage you to, to make sure that you get here early uh, to grab a seat for those. So let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, just for the worship and our time together this morning. God, I pray that as we uh, look into your word, as we hear from you, that we um, would just be able to see you and how you want us to respond today, Lord. We put ourselves in your presence, asking that you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So my oldest son, uh, his name is Riley. Uh, He's 23, and he's really doing pretty well in life. Uh, However, uh, when he was a kid, we weren't sure how he was going to turn out. Stacy and I would say frequently to one another, uh, he is going to do great things or terrible things. Like, he's going to change the world or destroy the world. We weren't quite sure. So here's a picture of Riley, a Christmas picture. Great kid. And like, and he, was, he really was. He was kind. He was smart. He had a great memory. Uh, he taught himself to read in kindergarten because he wanted to be able to read the sports section. Like, I'm there looking at the sports section with a picture. He's like, what's that picture about? And I tell him what's below it. He goes, so if I can figure out what those letters mean, I can read that? He's like, yeah, that's great. So he had this great potential. um, But he also had this great potential to be a nut. And here's a picture of him kind of being a nut there. Um, We're like, oh, boy, what is that kid going to turn out to be? Um, (laughs) What I really wish I had a picture of is him crying in his room because it seems like most of the time when we played front yard games, kickball, soccer, wiffle ball, whatever it was, he would end up crying in his room because he was so angry because either he cheated and I sent him up there or he accused somebody of cheating. And so here was this kid who had this great potential for good and great potential for bad. And like, how is he going to turn out? Um, so, and I am thankful and grateful to God and mainly to his mom as well um, that he has turned out well. And so here's a picture of Will and uh, Riley at a Bengals game last weekend. And so, uh, anyway, he turned out very well, although if you love the Steelers and hate the Bengals, you would say he didn't turn out so well, but I beg to differ. All right, we can take my kids off of there. Here's why I share that story with you about Riley and like this great potential for good, this great potential for craziness is this, is I think that the month of December is very much like my son Riley. Because the month of December has so much potential for good and a great direction and so much potential for distraction that in the month of December, this is an incredible opportunity that we have to really take great steps forward 
in our walk with Jesus. Because there's Christmas services and all of that. There are Advent devotions. There's things that you can do with your kids. There's more serving opportunities than normal. There's great opportunities to invite your friends who don't know Christ to hear about Christ. There's all of this great potential that we have in the month of December because it's all about celebrating Jesus. But I also think the flip side is true, that there's so much about December that can be a distraction to what our lives and what our focus could be. You know, we can give presents to each other and think that we have celebrated Christmas. We can go to a holiday party and think that we have celebrated Christmas. We can watch Elf and Home Alone and Die Hard and think that we have celebrated Christmas. We can play hide-and-go-seek with a little elf on the shelf and think that we have celebrated Christmas. And, and I'm not, none of those things are bad, and we do some of those things in our family. But the problem is, is if we think that those things are celebrating Christmas, then we're going to miss out on Christmas and what it's really about and miss out on this opportunity to refocus our lives on Jesus Christ. There's a line from a famous Christmas carol, uh, which, is, which goes like this. We actually sang it this morning. And by the way, if you came a little bit late to church, you missed the Christmas carol at the beginning. We'll be singing more as the, um, as the uh, month of December goes on. But it says this in, in uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It says, Born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. And these lines for me, and hopefully for you, bring to mind the question of why was Jesus born? Because he wasn't born as a baby, although that's a beautiful picture. He wasn't born just to be a baby, although it's a beautiful picture of his humility. He wasn't born so that we can give presents to each other, although that is certainly fun. And he wasn't born that we could set up nativity scenes and manger scenes in our houses and go visit these things, although that's a great way to remember the birth Jesus wasn't born for any of those things. That verse in Hark the Herald Angels says, says, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. That Jesus was born for a greater purpose. And so what we're going to do for this series in December is we're titled it Christmas in Corinth because what Paul does as he addresses the, the church in Corinth, he brings to mind some of the things that happened with the birth, and not so much with the birth, but why Jesus was born. And so this morning, we're going to look at that in the Christmas story and then in the letter of Paul to the Corinthians. So here's our Christmas story for this morning. This is Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And then after that, we'll be in 1 Corinthians 11. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly. And so you're probably familiar with the story, but Joseph and Mary are engaged, uh, ready to be married. Uh, and then Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant. And he knows that he's not the father. And so he figures, well, she's been fooling around with somebody else and says that he's a just man. He doesn't want to shame her. So he could have kind of publicly humiliated her and scorned her and all that. But he says, you know what? She's been unfaithful to me. I'm just going to quietly end this. They called her divorce at that time. I'm going to quietly end or break off 
this engagement. But then an angel steps in. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So right from the very beginning, we're told, if we're just reading the book of Matthew, we're told why is it that Jesus is to be born. He's to save the people from their sins. Now that wouldn't happen for another 32 or 33 years when Jesus died on the cross, but that was his purpose from the very beginning. Then Matthew goes on and he says this, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so the God of the universe, the God who created everything, the God who gives purpose, the God who sustains life, the God of the universe comes down in the form of a man comes down the form of Jesus. He is God with us. Now, it's hard to wrap our finite brains around that, of God in the person of a man. But that's what happened. And it says that he is God with us, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And there's something beautiful about that. Because everything that you go through in life, Jesus experienced as well. Not exactly the same, but he was a man just like we are. He was a person just like us. All the emotions that you feel, he felt those too. Every temptation that you have faced, he faced those too. Every trial and difficulty and hardship and struggle, he faced those as well. And so he is with us walking through all of that. God come to earth as a man. Now, it's interesting, every year we celebrate Christmas, but in the scriptures, in the Bible, there's no place where we are commanded to celebrate Christmas. We just, we do, and it's fine that we do, it doesn't ever say don't celebrate the birth of Jesus, but we're never commanded to celebrate the birth of Jesus year in and year out. However, we are commanded in the Bible to remember the death of Jesus, says, when you meet together, remember the death of Jesus. And we do that through communion. From the very beginning, the church had a regular practice of when they came together, they celebrated communion. And the church in Corinth that we've been looking at over this past fall and looking at a little bit in this sermon series as well, but the church in Corinth celebrated communion as well. But the problem is that their celebration of communion had gone all haywire. It had gone all crazy and distorted. It had become this drunken, divisive, humiliating sort of act that they did together. And so what Paul does, and if you've been part of our 1 Corinthians series this fall, what Paul does frequently in the book of 1 Corinthians, or the letter of 1 Corinthians, is he writes to them and he corrects the problems. He adjusts, he says, you're doing this, change this, and he, he basically rebukes and corrects them. He fixes what they're doing in this letter. And so in this particular passage, he really kind of takes them to the woodshed. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. 
Those are some pretty tough words, aren't they? He says, I, I, when you come together, like, I don't commend you. I have nothing good to say about your gatherings. It's almost like he's saying, it'd be better if you didn't meet together because it's so crazy and chaotic and it's so dishonoring to the Lord. And over what, we, what we're going to read, he's going to talk about communion. And then as he talks about communion, he's going to point out what they did wrong. But then he's going to say, but when you practice communion, there's two things that you must do. Whenever you take communion, you must do these two things. And we're going to talk about that. As we go through this passage, we're going to look at what Paul writes about how to take communion. Uh, but also, this is a preparation for us. That at the end of the service today, we're going to have an extended time of communion for us to really, really, it's the application of this message today and every time we take communion, is to follow these instructions that Paul gives about communion. So in verse 18, he writes, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. So way back on September 11th, if you were here on that day, we talked about divisions in the church, and there are all sorts of divisions in the church, and we've looked at a few of those as we've been through the book of 1 Corinthians. But in particular here, he's talking about the divisions that became apparent when they took communion. And he says this. He says, When you come together, is it not the Lord's supper that you eat? For in eating, each one of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So there's obviously some craziness going on. Now, we, we're not there, so we kind of have to put the pieces together to figure out what's going on. But he points out some problems. He said, some people are going hungry, and some people are getting drunk on wine, and all of you are divided during this time of communion that's supposed to be a unifying thing. And say, so, okay, well, what is going on here? How do we kind of unpack this? So it helps to understand that the way that the, they had church in, in Corinth in the first century was a little bit different than ours. They didn't have churches to meet in, so they would typically meet in a house or a compound that was kind of one of the larger places that could gather people who were Christians or who owned it and would say, hey, we can have church at our house, right? And then they would have their worship service and there'd be teaching and so forth, but as a part of it, they would often have a meal together, kind of like a potluck dinner, like Methodists or Baptists, if you grew up that way, you had lots of potluck dinners, right? So the original potluck dinner people were the Corinthians, and so they would have this potluck dinner, everybody would bring food, and then as a part of it, they would celebrate communion together. But the problem is that what they did and the way they did it was dishonoring to God. That some people were eating all the food up, and then other people went hungry, and some people were hammering down the communion wine and getting drunk, and other people weren't. Right? And so it was this really chaotic kind of scene, not at all honoring to the Lord. And so then what Paul does, he says, okay, let me, let's, let's take a step back. When you celebrate communion, here's what needs to be present. Here's what communion is about. So it says this in verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
So what Paul is doing is he's remembering back to when Jesus celebrated the Passover supper with his disciples. And that was the beginning of our New Testament uh, church institution of communion, or sometimes it's called the Lord's Supper. But he said, when you take communion, whenever you take communion, it's not about the meal, it's not about the wine, it's not about any of that. When you take communion, it's about remembering that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, that his body was broken for you. And he continues on. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So it says that every time that we take the cup, we're remembering that Jesus shed his blood on the cross for us. So that's the first must of communion. When I take communion, I must remember Jesus died for me. What does that look like for us? If you remember back to that line from Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it says, Born that man no more may die. When we take communion, we are remembering the birth of Christ, but really we're remembering the death of Christ, that Jesus was born that we wouldn't have to die. You see, Paul wrote in the book to Romans, he said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us. All of us are sinful. But he also wrote, the penalty of sin is death. The penalty of the sin that each one of us commits is death. But we couldn't bear that penalty And so Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place for our sins. And so every time you take communion, that's what you are to remember. And whether you've been a Christian for just a month or a couple years, or whether you've been a Christian for decades and decades, we still need to go back to that truth that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Because sometimes, you know, we can progress in our walk with God and we don't sin as much, at least outwardly, as we did at the beginning. And we maybe even play the comparison game in our life. Definitely looks better than other people because God has been transforming us. But we still need the forgiveness of Christ. We still need to remember that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Because it's not like, well, as we go on, we get better and better and now we no longer need Jesus' death on the cross. We always need his death on the cross for us. And he says this. He says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself takes us to the second must. When I take communion, I must examine myself. I must examine myself. Some of you all know this, but I grew up Catholic, um, and this was not at all, we took communion every week, but this wasn't at all a part of it. Like, for me, again, growing up as a kid, communion was like the two-minute warning combined with a snack, right? Because I didn't know any better. I hadn't really taught. I somehow missed what they were teaching, I guess. But, you know, for me, it's like, okay, I get this little snack, and then after that, we get to go home, right? That's what it was for me. And I didn't examine myself. I just was like, hey, we get to go home soon. 
Paul says that when we take communion, we must examine ourselves. I want to give you three questions to kind of use for examination today and, and, and every time you take communion. The first question to ask yourself is this. Am I a Christian? Have I placed my faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins? One of the things that this passage says is that communion is only for believers. That if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then don't take communion. Now, if you're here this morning, you may be like, well, I'm not a Christian. I'm just kind of checking things out. Maybe today would be the day that you step across the line of faith and place your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. I read a, a book one time that talked about what's the difference between religion and Christianity? What's the difference between kind of all the other religions and Christianity? And the person kind of who wrote this said it's the difference between do and done. Okay, when do is when we try and do all that we can to earn God's favor. We try and do all that we can to get to God. Say, well, if I read my Bible enough, if I go to church enough, if the good things in my life can outweigh the bad things in life, if I can serve enough, if I can give enough, if I can be a good enough person, if I can do good enough things, then I can earn my way to heaven. That's religion. And we can never do enough to get there. But done is that we look to what Jesus Christ has already done. He was born, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, and he rose from the dead. And when we look to Jesus as the one who paid the penalty for our sin, that's about what has been done, not what we do. And so to become a Christian means that we place our faith in Jesus because he has done what we cannot possibly do in living a perfect life, dying for our sins, and rising from the dead. Here's the second question. Do I have any broken relationships? Do I have any broken relationships? That's part of the self-examination. As Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, one of the issues they had is they were divided among each other. And so he says, examine yourselves. Are you living in divided relationships? And so before taking communion, ask yourself that question. And it can work in two different directions. You know, one part of it, when you say, am I divided in my relationships? One is, is there somebody that you need to forgive? That somebody who has wronged you and you need to express forgiveness to them. That you've been harboring bitterness towards them. That's a broken relationship. And you need to just let that go. And that may be part of your communion meditation this morning. The other side of that, the third examination, or the, I'm sorry, the other side of that is that maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. That there is somebody that you have wronged and you need to go to that person and ask for forgiveness. And that may, maybe even this morning you need to stop before you take communion and take care of that. I don't know. But that's part of the examination question. And the third question is this. Is do I need to confess or what sins do I need to confess? What sins do I need to confess? You know, in my opinion, confession is not enough a part 
of our regular spiritual habits. Or maybe that's just me looking in the mirror and I would say confession is not a regular enough part of my own spiritual habits. But when we take communion, it's this great opportunity to be still before the Lord and to ask him to bring to mind those sins that we have committed, those things that we've thought, those things that we've said, those things that we have done, attitudes, motivations that haven't been honoring to God, and just use it as a time to remember the sins in our lives, to examine ourselves in that way. And you know, it's interesting, when we think about sin, we often think about what we did. I sinned in this way. I did this. I did that. I did this. I did that. But the other way to bring sin to our mind is what I would call the sins of omission. So there's sins that we commit, sins of commission, but there's also sins of omission, things that I didn't do. I should have helped when I didn't. I ignored this person who was in need. I didn't speak up and help somebody who was struggling. And there are things that we do, sins that we omit because we don't do what God prompts us and asks us to do. So here's what's going to happen. The band is going to come out in just a minute when I pray. And we're going to just have some silence, just some instrumental. And this is to give you probably kind of long, probably four or five minutes or so, just to hear from the Lord, to, to listen and to hear what he wants to say to you. And to put into practice what we've talked about, what Paul instructs the Corinthians on. So the first thing is, remember that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. To take some time, to let that sink into your heart. And then the second is to examine yourself. Have you placed your faith in Christ? And if you haven't made that decision, I encourage you to make that decision this morning. Is there somebody that you need to reconcile with? Somebody that you are at odds with and you just need to express forgiveness or ask for forgiveness. And then have a time of confessing your sin to the Lord. And then during that time, you're welcome during any time of that to take communion. If you missed getting a communion cup on the way in, as I actually did, um, there's communion cups back at the sound booth and you can grab those at a little table in front of the sound booth. Um, But when you've taken that time, take communion. Uh, And then after that, the band will um, transition us into singing a song that helps us to reflect on the death of Christ. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, anticipating taking communion together, God, I pray that this time would be incredibly rich, that you would meet us in this moment that you are Emmanuel, you are God with us. And so I ask you, Lord, that you would be with us, you would speak to us, that you would be intimate with us in these moments of quiet reflection as we remember that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And that we would examine our lives knowing that we are forgiven of all of our sins. God be with us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.